This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, no vax, no visa yet as Djokovic fights to stay in Australia. We preview the NFL playoffs. England finally shows some fight in the ashes and a smorgasbord of basketball. Oh, sure, it's tennis courts and legal courts this week. Let's go. It's 9.07 on Tuesday, the 11th of January, 2022. Oh, Stewie, another huge week in sports since we last recorded. Well, it was just over a week ago now. We've had players leaving games prematurely, commentator faux pas, and television faux pas too, which we just watched before we started hitting, hitting record. Immigration dramas, Ashes intrigue, and a thrilling final round in the NFL. Of course, the usual COVID scares. But as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, a couple of things this week. The first one was almost bloody hell worthy. So during a game between the Vancouver Canucks and Seattle Kraken in the NHL, a Kraken fan was actually seen banging on the glass to tell Canucks equipment manager Brian Hamilton that a mole on his neck was cancerous. Was he a dermatologist or something? No, this is the thing. Like <laughs> this, this is just a young fan. Right. They were right. Yeah, crazy. So Hamilton's gone off and had this thing checked and it turns out it was cancerous. So Summon the Kraken. What an amazing catch. And the two teams got together to give the fan a $10,000 scholarship to, med- oh, wow. to medical school. That's awesome. How cool is that? That's really cool. Yeah, that's just one of my favorite stories. That's a great That's less than a week into the year. I know, right? We've got an early great. contender. Yeah, great. The other thing that caught my attention was Genevieve Beacom throwing absolute fire in a men's professional baseball game for the Melbourne Aces. Yeah, so it was on my list too. And doing so at 17 years of age. Yep, and didn't allow a hit. So she was subbed in for the last inning. Yeah, as you said, no hits, no runs. Honestly, if anyone is still clinging to this antiquated you throw like a girl line, (laughs) I would be more than happy to throw like Genevieve. She is a talent and a half. Yeah, only 17 too. Just amazing. Honestly, just... I would not want to be facing her. No, very impressive. She, she had some serious, serious hate, honestly. How about yourself, mate? Well, I purposely haven't got much this week, because I know it's a really big one, but I noticed Cameron Smith at Kapalua in Hawaii took down John Rahm in a final round battle to win the second US PGA title for 2022. A cold two mil or so. <laughs> not bad, is it? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, he was on fire in that tournament. And he set a new tour record, uh, 34 under as well. So, yeah, very on fire. That's, yeah, you're absolutely he, right. He is seriously, seriously eyeing up number one in the world. Yeah, fair enough. I would too. not be surprised. Yeah, yep. Best haircut in golf. <laughs> yeah, the mop. Yeah. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I didn't actually see any of the AFLW match over the weekend. We had the local derby over here with the uh, Eagles and Dockers. And yes, yep. As, a, as an Eagles fan, I kind of had a feeling it was going to go one way, and that's exactly how it did. The Dockers are a pretty decent outfit, so no real surprise that they uh, got the Chockies on the day. Yes, yeah, although I tell you what, kicking to the right end in the final quarter helped a lot. Mm. Yeah, a lot, because that breeze was strong. You were at the game. I was, I was, yep. First live action of 2022. It was great to get down there. Beautiful night, a little bit warm, but a nice... I think they might have got the start time wrong. I think they probably should have started at half an hour later because that sun was an absolute nightmare to look into, but I think it was probably for television. But I know what you're going to ask about. Well, rather than me asking you what did you miss, it's more so what the people at the ground letting people in missed. Well, it included us too. So we we went to the old synagogue beforehand for a cheeky Guinness before. And that's a great pub. I've never been there before. It's really cool. Hmm. Anyway... Got in line about 15 minutes prior to bounce down. We thought that would be enough, but no, the line, they only had one line and we missed about probably 10 minutes of the first quarter. So yeah, yeah. But there were other people who would have missed the entire first quarter. 
Jeez. But yes, no, they weren't checking vaccine passports or they so they did at the pub, but then they didn't at the footy. And look, it was funny because we were talking about it in line and I was saying, don't worry, these things become so lax. I've seen it happen at Optus Stadium. And sure enough, it happened there too. So look, I don't know if the people at the front of the line were being checked, but they certainly weren't by the time we got to the front of the line. It's concerning. It is a little. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. What'd you miss? Well, I, I didn't get to see the second half of the New Zealand Bullets game, unfortunately. I had the best of intentions, but last night after the quiz, I just didn't, I ran out of steam, didn't have enough in the tank. So I saw the most of the Bills and Patriots game, knowing that you'd seen the Brisbane-New Zealand game. So at least one of us had it covered. Mm. So I strategically watched the NFL instead. Yeah. Fair enough. So, Shuey, we've got to talk about not only the biggest news in Australia at the moment, but one of the biggest news stories in the world, it's got to be said. Novak's Djokovic, Izzy... Isn't he? Will he? Won't he? Should he? Did he? Didn't he? <laughs> Should he? Shouldn't he? Fuck. No. <laughs> and I say that because can we go there first? So yeah. you found this. You found this television coverage from Channel Seven where two Eastern States newsreaders are talking what they think is off air, and the bloke uh, we don't know their names. Well, I don't know them. Do you know no, their names? No idea. Because they're Eastern States ones. But the bloke drops the f bomb about seven times in a minute. And yeah. a half. Refers to him as a a cheat and an asshole and all of these other things. I mean, probably saying what the vast majority of of Australians are thinking. Yeah, yeah. And and it it sucks that we even have to start with this. It's just, you do, you have to lead off with it because it is a saga. Well, and it's an ongoing saga too. And it has dominated the news for, what, the last week and a bit, really? Most of this year, basically, already. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. Yeah, and it's not done yet either because they still haven't determined, well, the, the minister hasn't decided whether or not he's going to send him packing. So this is the thing. As far as I know, and correct me if you think there's anything that I've maybe misinterpreted, my understanding is that he applied for a medical exemption to the Australian Open to play without being vaccinated. On arrival to Australia, though, he's been denied entry well, because I'll, of an I'll, issue with the visa. Well, can we take a step back? He, he applied for that on the basis that he'd previously had COVID. Yeah. In the last 16 days or so, 15 days or yeah, something. Yeah, it was December 16. No, that's the 16 he, I'm thinking he was, of. Yeah. He was positive. So yeah. within the last couple of a couple of weeks, really. Yeah. But apparently, and again, what I understand is that Tennis Australia have said, yep, you can you can have an exemption to play, which it's not really legally binding, is it? It's no. It's just kind of them saying, look, we're okay with you playing if you can get in. Yep. Which maybe wasn't really that well communicated. Yep. I think, unfortunately, Tennis Australia have probably dropped the ball here. I think a lot of people have dropped the ball. Oh, they've absolutely... It's a clusterfuck. Absolutely hit a ball into the lineman's throat. Yeah, they really have. They really have. And so, obviously, he's come into the country. There's been an issue with the visa that has been applied for by his team. So, someone in his team has stuffed up as well, from what I understand. And by the way, fill in your own forms. Well, there, there is a value to it. Yeah, there is there's something that says, you know, I sign this saying it's all correct, mm. or you know what I mean? That standard provision. And so, the shit fight started. There was a six-hour interrogation... Apparently at four o'clock in the morning, Novak was being asked to provide documents that he didn't have and all sorts of bits and pieces. He's then been put up in one of the worst hotels in Melbourne, as far as I'm aware, Um, which is interesting. You would have thought that potentially there was a choice, but again... Well, it's an immigration hotel. Again, yeah, people don't always get the choice. And- no, well, it's it's their standard immigration hotel, and that's why some poor refugees have been there for over a decade. I mean, that is pretty... That's the appalling part. That's yeah. pretty just... It's not pretty. It's it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Really tough. And and this is probably one of the first issues I have is that, yeah, this sort of, uh, this ability that he's been given to fight this decision in court 
would not have been afforded to everyone else that's going through that same visa issue. There was one of the one um, of the female players. The female was players, sent I think she. I can't remember where she was from, like Czech Republic or something. Yeah, somewhere in the Eastern Bloc. She, yeah, she didn't have the money to fight this the way that Novak does, so she's been put on a plane and gone home. But yeah, if if there were potentially choices to pay to upgrade to a better hotel, fair enough. If he's got the money, let him do it. But all this crap about you know vigils outside the hotel, his dad comparing his treatment to the persecution of Jesus oh, Christ. Oh man, his dad is a shocker. Because you know they've nailed him to a cross and oh. given him a crown of thorns. And he was he was calling for them to riot in the streets. Well, they did. I mean, really? Well, they didn't riot. There was a handful of there people. There were a lot of people got arrested yeah. there. But oh, anyway, but yeah, well, yeah. So, I mean, has this been handled well by any of the parties involved? Absolutely not. No, I think you're right. I think everyone's been pretty shit because I think, and look, I I wanted to chime in on this when it first started, but I knew there was more than meets the eye. There's still more than meets the eye. I nearly fired off so many tweets in the last week and a bit, but I've kept the trigger finger in in my pocket because I just know that things are going to change. More information is going to come out. It's pretty clear that Tennis Australia probably were giving misleading information, well, if not worse. incomplete information yeah. is probably what I would imagine. The Australian government, well, you know, I mean, they they fuck up left, right and centre. So yeah. is that any surprise? And, and they've probably not done a great job here as well. And Novak himself, I think, is probably being a bit disingenuous. Um, did he really have COVID? If he did, why was he at events with kids and getting a postage stamp and all this shit in public without a mask on? Like, speaking of his dad, he said... Novak is a mental rock. He never offended anyone. He always tries to help, not the contrary. Well, if you're positive and you're walking around without a mask, you are not helping. So that is the contrary. Mm. But this is not a black and white issue. It's a gray issue. And the more you think about it and the more you listen and read and everything, the grayer it gets because Novak isn't Satan. He donated to the Australian bushfire appeal. He has donated in other causes. He has done a lot of good things in with his wealth and, and during his journey. The only problem is he has a lot of pretty fucked up scientific, well, in our opinion, mm. scientific beliefs that we think are a bit at odds with reality, like water that can, what was it like? You can, you can change water with your emotions or some shit. Oh, God. I just stopped listening, to be honest. So so I'm not convinced that he's done totally the right thing here either. And there's some concerns that maybe he hasn't been truthful on immigration forms and this, that and the other. So I, I think I think he'll probably be allowed to stay yep. and he'll probably be lucky. But that's more the sins of Tennis Australia and the Australian government than him being squeaky clean. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think when all is said and done and all the dust settles, he probably will be allowed to stay. And it's going to be fascinating to see how the Australian crowds come in and react to him being there. Oh, there'll be a lot of booze. There has been a lot of talk about mass booze and mass protests from people going the other way, saying you shouldn't be here. What you said before, though, is absolutely the issue that I have with the whole thing. This cavalier attitude towards this virus that has killed millions of people. We're talking all the way back to the Adria tour debacle. Yeah, yeah. he's got a track record here. He he doesn't self-isolate. He shows that he doesn't give a shit about this and he feels like he's above everyone else. Yeah. Which, you know, everyone's sort of saying, oh, well, what do you think that Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal would have gone through it? And the the response I see every time is 100% correct. Those those two guys would not do this. Well, Rafa's had some pretty telling quotes and he normally holds his cards close to his chest, but he basically came out and said, Novak screwed up here. Yeah. So, yeah. And look, as a country, we've done okay. We've done fairly well. Oh, we've done very well. 
compared to many. Absolutely. That Melbourne has been through the absolute Oh, yeah, ringer. of course. Yeah, Melbourne and Sydney are particularly. They strong. were the most isolated city in the world. They dealt with numerous lockdowns over the course of basically two years. People have missed out on spending really special occasions with loved ones, whether it be weddings. You know, people haven't been able to be with their family members as they passed away. Yep. But it was all seen as this sacrifice for the greater good. Yeah. People lost their jobs. You know, I'm sure people have lost their houses and levels of depressions and suicide have risen as well, I would imagine. And these tennis players have been given this extraordinary opportunity through it all to continue traveling, do their jobs, make money. And all we've asked in return for their relative freedom is to follow the rules of the country they're in. And for people like Novak, just their appearance fee is probably more than what most people earn in a year. Absolutely. And that's just the appearance fee. Yeah. And then you go and get into the third round, the quarters, blah, 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 blah. And that goes up pretty exponentially. Yeah. So, yeah. Like I've said right from the start, he wouldn't go to the UAE with his wife and make out with her in public and then get arrested and go, oh, but I'm the number one tennis player in the world. It's fine. Or in my country, this is okay. So I'll do it here. No, yeah. that's a that's a really that's a really good analogy. Yeah. So, so why should he be able to drop into Australia, basically give all the Victorians a middle finger just because he can hit a tennis ball really well? And it's not like people don't know that Australia has been more locked down than most countries and that we have been stricter than most countries over here. Yep. It's not a revelation. This, so this is it. And he, he'd be well aware of this. So and, would his handlers. And yes, okay, it sucks that it's such a, a, a horrible process to go through. But when you think about it, once we come out the other end, this goes back to being one of those tournaments that everyone loves to come to because they get to come down under to an amazing part of the world, which when it's open is just spectacular. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's really, really disappointing. Now... He may not be back for three years, which makes the title chasing very interesting because he's one behind Rafa and, and Roger. Oh, I mean, the Australian Open doesn't mean shit to that. He will get it at Wimbledon or Roland Garros or Flushing Meadows. It doesn't matter. No, yeah. He will... It's just interesting though, isn't it? I mean, it is. he's getting on in his career. So to not be at the next three... It's pretty significant. But yes, you're right. There's three other tournaments every year he can be at. So It's significant in terms of the final number that he ends up on, but it's not significant in terms of him passing Getting, Rafa or yeah, Roger. Yeah, will, no, that's fair. He will absolutely, un- unless Rafa Nadal comes out. I mean, Federer's done. Nadal maybe has one left in him. I'm not even sure of that, but it's yeah, it's one of those things. I don't think it even matters, but it's it's been a shit show. It really has. And ironically, the lawyers that he's using in this trial, Hall and Wilcox, actually have a no jab, no entry policy for their, for their, <laughs> yeah. for their offices. Oh, that's crazy, isn't it? So if, if that doesn't just show irony. You, doesn't that just show you that money is money? Yep. And again, our hearts do go out to everyone over East. They're not better than us. We're very lucky here in Perth. So some of our listeners will know this better than anyone of how tough it must have been. For those that are interested in following it, I strongly recommend looking at the Ben Rothenberg articles and tweets. He's done a tremendous job and there's a lot of really interesting information. So a couple of things on Rothenberg's Twitter. So one is he's apparently said that he hasn't travelled anywhere within a two-week period prior to coming through to Australia, but he was seen in Spain and was potentially or apparently at a resort or like a tennis clinic kind of thing in Spain. He's denied that though. So, well. For obvious reasons. There's there's some social media proof that probably suggests that that's a lie. I mean, it would be pretty easy to figure it out. You would have thought so. And, And that some of the social media stuff I think is pretty, it's probably evidence against. He actually, he's posted the results of the positive test and there's a QR code and you can scan the QR code. So people were scanning it. 
And some people were getting positive. Some people were getting negative. Some people were getting negative once and then positive when they tried again. Mm. So there's thoughts that maybe the documents were forged and there's some really dodgy oh. stuff going on in Serbia as well, which is came up in that little video clip you found of those Channel 7 newsreaders were talking about that, the fudged documents potentially. So it's just... Uh, it's a real shit show and we may never know the full truth, but I suspect that next time we record in a week's time, we will have more information. He may still be here. He may be getting ready to play or he may be back in Serbia, but either way, if he does play, he'll have a very uh, limited preparation. He may be former Southeast Melbourne centre, John Forge. Ah, <laughs> bit of a stretch. I just want to round this out though with one funny thing that I think I've seen through this whole thing. It's a tweet from a guy named Jamison Murph, and he's basically said, Tennis Australia has just announced a new last-minute entry, Dovak and Jokovic. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. And it's Novak's face <laughs> over Mr. Burns' face when he called himself Mr. Schnurb. Yeah, with the big <laughs> with the big, the big ass moustache. Yeah. Oh, I did have a very good chuckle at that. It's yeah, probably... that was that was quite early in the piece, wasn't it? That was, was like the first day. Yeah. It's one yeah. of the first times I reckon I've actually laughed at this whole thing. Oh, was... and I love that I've got you into Twitter, hey. Oh, you are, yeah. I, you I, are a convert. Well I truly. held out on Twitter for as long as I could, but it's uh, yeah, it's my life now. <laughs> One last little snippet as well before we move on from the tennis. In the qualifying, I saw that Bernard Tomic got absolutely pants today. 6-1-6-4 in not a whole lot of time. Claiming, though, that he's going to test positive for COVID in the next two or three days. And basically, he was challenging the courtside umpire saying, I can barely breathe at the moment. I guarantee I'm going to come back with a positive test in the next couple of days. If I don't, I will buy you dinner. But if I do, you have to buy me dinner. Basically trying to get a free dinner out of this. Well, I don't think that could be allowed under the rules. (laughs) It would be seen as bribery or something. But he was also making a really good point about the lack of PCR testing for the qualifying, which is a very valid point. If these guys are supposed to be double vaxxed for the main draw, well, why is there not the same sort of standards being held up for the qualifying? I think ScoMo's too busy sitting in the com box at the cricket than arranging more PCR tests. Yeah, I saw some people who were very, very happy when a wicket happened as soon as he came in because it meant he stopped talking. Yeah, right. But uh, <laughs> no, it's just, I tell you what, if he doesn't test positive though, he needs to retire because 23 minute first set. Yeah. Well, guess, when you told me about it, I was like, oh yeah, did he serve underarm? He didn't. He actually, not this time. He actually served overarm, but I mean, honestly. The, the Australian public have given up on him. No one's prepared to take him serious until he actually provides some sort well, of... Well, until advice. he shows he's serious. Too. So, yeah, it's, oh, it's not good. No. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week isn't a new story as such, but it's one that I wasn't aware of until this week. And it goes to Gregor Ackelrod, a France footballer who scammed a professional team into signing him. Ah, okay. So this goes back a few years to the very early days of the internet, and Ackelrod was playing for Paris Saint-Germain in their fifth division side, right? which is known as the worst league in France. It's essentially a bunch of older, out-of-shape guys running around. So kind of like if you and I were playing soccer. But he had the strip, and it had his name on it. And so he created his own website talking about his time with Paris Saint-Germain, even managed to get photos on the official PSG pitch thanks to knowing someone at the merchandise shop. And so he began reaching out to clubs about trials. Oh, this is brilliant. And although the big clubs in the UK turned him down, he actually did manage to get trials with Swindon Town, Bournemouth and Norwich City, actually scoring for the latter two sides in friendlies. Wow. In 2009, though, he was offered a three-year deal at £15,000 a week 
with CSKA Sofia in the Bulgarian league. He did a two-day trial. The coach told his agent that they wanted to sign him. <gasps> he did official photos in the jersey, signed the contract. It was even published on the team's website that Ackelrod was joining the team. Now, unfortunately for him, a CSKA fan posted on a forum that they were signing this guy and saying, is he any good? And the PSG fans wrote straight away and went, never heard of this guy. Oh, he sounds, yeah. sounds like he's a fraud. They'd never heard of him. Oh, so they're going to get him on a technicality legally, have they? And the contract was ripped up. Yeah, okay. He did actually manage trials in Greece, Kuwait, and Canada before hanging up his boots. And he is now a talent scout and a talent manager for young players coming through and trying to do things the right way. So he's way. still done all right. He's, he's still done he's all right. He's done very oh, well that's for himself. Great, that's a great story. So to you, Gregor Achelrod, all I can say is, in fair... Bloody hell, and well done. Bloody hell. All right, now time to move on to the NFL. Uh, must we? I, it's frustrating, Stewie, because I'm daring to dream again. You know, <laughs> it's just going to break my heart. No, we we're going to we'll probably lose to fucking Jacksonville late in the season. Yeah. All right, Nate Stradamus. <laughs> yes. Should we just rip the band out? That was, that was one I didn't want, did not want to be right about, I gotta say. Yeah. Oh. It's heartbreaking. It's probably one of the most expected, unexpected results of the entire NFL season. It really is. So, yes, as you predicted, Nathan, the Jacksonville Jaguars provided the upset on the last day of the season to deny the Indianapolis Colts a playoff spot 26 to 11. What the fuck? The Jags are one of the worst teams in the NFL. They are perennially shit, and yet they're our bogey team. They're in our division. We have to play them twice a year. We haven't beaten them in a home game, so Jacksonville or London, yeah. but mostly Jacksonville, since 2014. 2014. Oh. Are they even one of the worst teams? There was one season where, not well, uh, Detroit. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they did get number one pick, but like there was even one season where we handed them their only win of the whole season. Hmm. It's just, it's, it's just shit. Like, and, and like I said, in that clip, I'll get some hope. And I did get some hope. I mean, the way we played, we destroyed the Bills. The way we played in that Patriots game was fantastic. We looked like a playoff team. We looked scary good in that game. We went to Arizona and won there. That was on Christmas. I didn't actually watch that one. I wish I did because it's the last game we won. Mm. We, we caught Oakland just after John Madden had died. So they had that kind of little bit of juice, I think. I mean, their story is pretty amazing, and we'll get to them in a sec as yes, well. Yes, we will. But yeah, then the Jags. All we needed to do was win one of our last two. After starting one and four, the season looking pretty shaky, we went from being a team that no one wanted to face in the playoffs to a team that isn't even in the playoffs. It's just, it's, it's so frustrating. I, I just, the little optimism I had is now gone because we, we now have, a, I think, a right guard and a left tackle that are both free agents. So even our great offensive line, we can't guarantee you're coming back. Mm. It's just, it's just, oh, we had Andrew Luck. We were so close. We couldn't protect him. He retired from too many injuries. It's hard not to think we're just going to sit in mediocrity for a long time now, now because we've mortgaged our future on wins. Pardon my lack of knowledge on this, but what's the deal with the salary cap in the NFL? Is it like the NBA where there's a cap, but you can go over it and pay a luxury tax? Is it like a hard cap? I, I don't know. It's basically a hard cap, unlike the NBA. So, yeah, you can't over overpay blokes that are already on your roster. Okay, interesting. Yes, yes. And because of the Wentz trade, we have less draft picks. Good, so, good thing he played well in that last oh, game. Man. Oh, yeah. I, look, I, I tried, I tried, but 
Uh, yeah. I've always said you I... can't, can't trust anyone named Carson. <laughs> Carson Palmer had a pretty good career. Johnny Carson? That's a surname. Yeah, I can't think of anyone. No, I can't either. <laughs> Carson Daly. That's probably anyone. Oh, I yeah, Carson of. Daly. Yeah. 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 Still. Yep. Our season's over. Our season's over. But speaking of salary cap, the New York Giants have an even worse outlook with their salary cap, and they only won four games this season. But I hate mediocrity. I hate just missing the playoffs. I hate it. Which yeah. is great because you're a Spurs fan and that's exactly what they're going to do this season. Well, in that case, I'm glad because I'd rather the higher pick than... Uh, to me, the playing game is false gold. Yeah, but that's where, Anyone that's, that's, that's where the Spurs will end up. No, well, at the moment, we're out of that spot. So mm, Portland, now. Portland are in a, a 10 at the moment. For now. Yeah, I don't know. With Kawhi coming back <laughs> with the Clippers, I think we might be safe. I don't know that we will get that 10 spot. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I looked at that today, actually. Yeah. Yes, so season over for the Colts, but season's still alive for 14 teams. Now, before we get there, a couple of other little bits and pieces. Antonio Brown, we've got to start there. I was going to say, from one shit show to another. Yeah, 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 bizarre. This, I I still don't know the entire story. All I know is halfway through the game, he rips his shirt off, basically marches out of the stadium, dancing, throwing hands up to the crowd, letting everyone know that he's still happy for some reason. And that's it. That's his time with the Buccaneers over. Yep. Yeah, yeah, very important in their Super Bowl the winning two team. Two seed Buccaneers. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, who already have major problems at receiver with injury. So yeah, yeah. And, and there's there's a lot of things. I mean, one of the things I heard was that they wanted to keep him out of the game. He was eight catches, fifty five receiving yards, and one receiving TD away from unlocking a million dollar bonus. No, but it wasn't that. He didn't want to go back in because he had an injured ankle. Oh, okay. So the story is. And look, again, it's a bit like the Novak thing. I think both sides are lying a bit here. Yeah. The story is that he told the coaching staff, Bruce Arians, the coach who I used to really like, I don't know, I think he's come out a bit dodgy here. But anyway, he's told Bruce Arians, the head coach and the coaching staff, that he's got a bit of a bung ankle. He'll try, but he doesn't think he can go. According to Brown, he says, Arians says, get in. He says, no, I can't coach. My ankle's too shit. I can't do it. Arians said, no, you." he says, Arians has said, you're going in or otherwise, and he's drawn a line across his neck to kind of suggest put on, you're put on, done. Put on your helmet and make sure that the, make sure you put your chin guard on though. <laughs> Don't want that helmet falling off. <laughs> so the story goes that Antonio's gone, well, okay, if he thinks... I'm cut if I don't go in, then I'm cut. So he's taken his clothes off and he's walked through the end zone. And so a lot of people have said, oh, well, if his ankle was bad, why could he do jumping jacks in the end zone? But I actually watched a video of a medical doctor who explained the ankle injury in question. And he actually said that it is theoretically possible. Okay. So it's very much a he said, he said. Antonio Brown claims that everyone on the staff knew he was banged up. They claim that they didn't know that and they wouldn't have sent him in if he wasn't good to go. There's enough evidence to me that suggests they probably did know that he was communicating with them beforehand to say he was banged up. But he's got a look, I feel for him. Mental health is a very serious thing and I don't want to make light of it. He has a checkered past of doing weird things. He's, he's an interesting guy. Uh, there was a famous one with Pittsburgh, basically what ended his career there. And he was one of the best receivers in the league was he was just filming himself in the locker room while Mike Tomlin was, giving a rousing speech after a really important game. And he was just basically taking a selfie video. And I think he was live streaming it at the time in the inner sanctum of a locker room where your coach is like, it, it shouldn't have. So so that's where it kind of started in the NFL from my memory. There might've been events before that, but he's kind of done weird things since then. And apparently he snuck in, uh, it just gets weirder. So apparently he snuck in an Instagram influencer 
into his hotel room before the game for a bit of influencing. Yeah, a bit of influencing. Funnily enough, this is the one that was taking photos of herself licking a toilet seat in order to try and catch COVID. Oh, that. Do you remember her? Yep. Yep. So he's he's taken her up to the room to uh, I don't know do a bit of two minute drill or whatever some some (laughs) euphemism you want to two minute warning. But apparently he said to her, just wait what I'm going to do tomorrow, which suggests that the taking off of the shirt and walking through the end zone is maybe a predetermined act. Mm. And she's shown the the screenshots of the text messages. They're online. So this whole story is bizarre. He's chewed out Tom Brady's trainer. Tom's clearly pissed about that. He's then chewed out Tom a little bit. So the whole thing is bizarre. And then going back to what you're talking about with the incentives and things. So Arians wanted to take Brady out of the game on the weekend, but Brady refused to. Yeah, yeah, because he wanted to get Gronk his his bonuses. And it makes you wonder if Antonio had stuck around, maybe rehabbed that ankle and played in week 18, Tom probably would have done the same thing for him. Yeah. So, yeah, look, I I do, again... I think he has some pretty serious mental health issues, so I don't want to stick the boot in too far, but it's a bizarre situation. And you're right, it does not help the Buccaneers. It's not a good time for the Buccaneers. Happy retirement, Antonio. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. Because I dare say that's it. Oh, yeah. I'd be amazed if any team would take him on after that. Amazed. Maybe the London Silly Nannies. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm. Mm. Maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're a laughing stock. True. But they beat the Colts. Apparently, you know, apparently people were going to dress up as clowns at the game because I was so pissed off with management. And then they come out and beat us. <laughs> oh, it's just embarrassing. This is going to sting for a while, I've got to say. Mm. I'm a Bills fan now. Speaking of things that'll sting for a little while. Oh, this one's bizarre too, yeah. The Chargers and the Raiders. Yeah, yep. This, I've, I must admit, I don't watch anyone near as much NFL as you, but this one... I, it beggars belief. So heading into this one, it was really interesting because people were saying, oh, depending on how certain results go, including the Colts having to lose to the Jags, if they wanted to, Oakland and the LA Chargers could just take knees the whole game because a draw would get them both, a tie would get them both into the playoffs. And it would have knocked out the Steelers. And it would have knocked out the Steelers. So that would have ended Ben Roethlisberger's career. And look, part of me wonders if he actually probably wanted to go out on a win last week rather than losing the first round of the playoffs to the Kansas City Chiefs, which is probably what will happen. I'll let you explain the game because it was a very bizarre ending. Well, it's it's really just the last minute of the game. So the scores are tied at 32 all. There's 38 seconds left. And Chargers coach Brandon Staley has called a timeout which has basically stopped the clock and then allowed the Raiders to move the chains eventually and kick a game-winning field goal. So at the time, there was this sort of conjecture of, oh, well, there's less than one shot clock in it. Do we just take a knee, call it a tie, move on? Well, Derek Carr's come out and said that they weren't going to take a knee, but they were basically going to go for the Hail Mary win. And if it didn't come off, turn over on downs. Yeah. So, Yeah. And then play on. That's that's game. Yeah, well, yeah. The Chargers would have got the ball, but yeah, it probably would have ended in a tie. Yeah. And so, yeah, them taking that timeout has actually allowed the Raiders to set up a play. Yep. Which get, is what they did. They went for the first down, which got them in yeah, field goal range. Field goal range. Yep. Kick. I don't know what it was. Maybe 47. forty-seven. Yeah, forty-seven. Yep. And as a result, the Chargers have been knocked out of the playoff race. Yep. Which yeah. really sucks because Herbert is so good to watch. He's going to be an absolute superstar one day. He got something like six first downs or something like. 
in in the fourth quarter or something on third or fourth down. He was, yeah, I wish I saw the game. Yeah. It sounds like a real crazy one. But it is funny because I did see a video of Derek Carr talking to one of the Chargers players and it actually looked like he mouthed the words, would you have taken a knee? And he says, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that's, if it's true, and again, we won't know. There's no way you can and possibly know. But You that- do wonder, because if you're the Raiders, you would much, much rather be facing the Bengals, who are very hot, it's got to be said, and will probably still win the game. But you'd rather face them than go into Arrowhead and, and play the Chiefs. So the Raiders probably did want to win, but it's very weird and very interesting. It is weird. Yeah. And I'll yeah. tell you what, though, if that is true, though, and they would have taken a knee... Oh, dear. The, the crazy thing is that I think the Chargers possibly could have done some damage in the playoffs, but they're not there. Mm. So, yeah, their season's done. Kind of like the Colts. Yeah, like the Colts. Oh, like the bloody Colts. Say it. So where yeah. does this leave us, Nath? Well, Titans and Packers, both number one seeds, first week bye. So we've got an expanded playoff field this season. We've got seven teams competing in each conference. It is astonishing the Titans got the number one seed. They were without Derrick Henry for a decent chunk of the season. They're one-man wrecking crew with the running game. I mean, Vrabel should be coach of the year because to get number one seed in spite of what they went through is quite amazing. The Packers, they had their own dramas at the start of the season. The only reason I didn't pick them for the Super Bowl in the NFC is because of the Aaron Rodgers dramas. There was, Who knew if he was even going to be on the team by the end of the trade deadline? So it's astonishing that those are our two number one seeds. Yeah. Rogers in the MVP running? Um, I think he has to be, but I, I, I actually think Cooper Cup should be the MVP yeah, this season. I can, I can say that. Because he won the Triple Crown. Receptions, yards, and touchdowns for wide receivers. It's not been done very many times. And okay, yes, the record he broke was because there was an extra weight tapped on the end of the season, but it doesn't matter. The Triple Crown he won regardless of that. So I, I actually think given there's been no clear-cut quarterback including Tom Brady and including Patrick. Patrick Mahomes has not had a great season. I think Cooper Cup should absolutely be the MVP, but he won't be. And and it's like the AFL with the Brownlow. It's basically best quarterback. When you said Cooper Cup won the triple crown, I'm thinking, did he win, Is the, he a horse? Did he win the Preakness? Yeah. <laughs> like, what about the Kentucky Derby? I don't remember him being in that. No, yeah, no, it's, I it's... think he should be MVP, but I don't think he will. It will probably be Rogers or Brady. But I yeah. don't think it should be either of them. Fair, yeah. fair enough. And look, if, if the last two weeks didn't go the way they had, I think Jonathan Taylor would have been a red-hot chance too. So Jonathan Taylor had 1,811 yards. The next best is Nick Chubb at 1,259. Okay, granted, he played a few less games. But Taylor had 18 touchdowns. So yeah, if those last two weeks had gone differently, I think he might have had a bloody good chance. Yeah. But it'll probably be a quarterback, as mm. usual. Time will tell on that one. Well, Brady did have more touchdowns than years on this planet again. You will, yeah. Yeah. 45, that's pretty impressive. It is, it is. For, for a guy his age. Yeah, I oh, know it is. Regardless it is. of what you think of him, that's that's pretty impressive. So let's get into some picks, Nath. Yes, indeed. Right, so I've got the Titans in the first week beating... <laughs> no one. Beating by. <laughs> and of course, I've got the Packers just over by in, in the <laughs> NFC. Chiefs and Steelers, pretty straightforward, yeah. Yeah, look, this, the Chiefs should win. I mean, it's one of those games that will probably now be really weird and they'll probably win in a really close one. As I said, Ben probably wanted to ride off into the sunset last week, but instead he's going to have to play again. His arm isn't what it used to be. He's They're all very short passes. He's certainly not going downfield for Hail Marys. 
I don't think the Chiefs are what they've been the last couple of seasons, and I do think that they're much more vulnerable than they've been in the last few seasons, but they'll definitely win this one at home. Could Ben steal a one? <laughs> no, I've got the Chiefs winning this one pretty comfortably. I think TJ Watt basically needs like six sacks or something mm. for them to have any chance and maybe an interception. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen. No, it's very unlikely. Very unlikely. Bills and Patriots in the 3-6. Yeah, this will be the third matchup between these teams since week 13. A lot of the divisional games kind of stacked towards the end of the season. So they've played each other twice. It, it feels like the third time in like five weeks, but I, I just had a look now and it's a bit more than that. So, yeah. Look, rookie quarterback for the Patriots. They did have a good season. They had a good stretch. Bill's starting to pick up again. I feel like they're kind of on the upwards trajectory. So the Bill's at home, I've got. But I do worry about their running game a little bit. But I'm certainly rooting for the Bills. I had Bills and Rams as my Super Bowl pick at the start of the year. So I will be riding the Bills through the playoffs as long as I can now that the Colts are out. Well, it all comes down to Allen, doesn't it? He'll be a big, big part. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Who you got? Uh, look, I mean, you've got to go with the Bills. There's, it's it's unlikely that, as you say, I mean, you've got a rookie quarterback. It's not often that they make much noise in playoffs. No, he's looked a lot more human the last couple of weeks as well. Mm. So, yeah. and, and playoffs is a whole different beast as well. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the pressure ratchets up big time. So he'll be better for the experience, but I'll be surprised if he, if he and the Patriots get a win. Hmm. Stranger things have happened, though. This is true. In the 4-5, we have the Sin, Cincinnati. Sin, Cincinnati. Nat, Cincinnati. T, <laughs> Bengals versus the uh, Oakland Raiders. Yes, indeed. Yes, the Las Vegas Raiders. I think I might have called them Oakland already. I'm on still, this yeah, I just still refer to them as Oakland. Well, yeah, it's very difficult. I always say the San Diego Chargers. It's very difficult to keep up with these changes. Yeah. And the Jazz moved to Utah where they don't allow music. <laughs> um, the Bengals have been amazing lately. I actually saw the game where Joe Burrow threw for over 500 yards a few weeks ago against the Ravens because it was on holidays. So I went to bed at about 5 a.m. after that one. I'll be very surprised. The Bengals are a sneaky Super Bowl pick. I got the Raiders in an upset. <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing. The Raiders feel a little bit team of destiny. Yeah, Madden, they, Madden, like, Madden's going to be pressing all those buttons. Not just Madden, though. So obviously they had that weird thing at the start of the season with the John Gruden emails where he stepped down or been pushed out the door, whatever you want to call it. Then they had their best, one of their best receivers. You can maybe say Wallace, their best receiver, definitely their best long threat. Suggs with the vehicular manslaughter when he was, I think it was a DUI as well. And he was going like 120 miles per hour. He was going very fast and unfortunately killed someone in a car. So they lost him too. So they've lost one of their best receivers. And in spite of that, they're playing pretty good inspired ball at the moment. Mm. So I, that could easily go either way. To be honest, both of those games, all three could go either way. The Chiefs will almost certainly win, but those other two could go either way. Yeah. Mm. I, I would not at all be surprised if the Raiders won. Pick six, run at siren. Could happen. Could no, happen. What happened? Well, probably no, not. I, know, I, th- I think the Raiders are, I think it'll be close. Uh, it's not like 32 29, something like that. Never underestimate team of destiny stuff in NFL playoffs. It seems to happen all the time, just as we talked about in this week's This Week in Sport. I wonder if they'll come up with a scorigami. <laughs> there was a scorigami on the weekend. Was it? I can't remember which game. I didn't take note, but there was one. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I might, that might be my homework for next week. The Raiders will win it 26 to pie. There we go. There's your scoring army. So in the NFC, we've already established that the Packers will win. Uh, Buccaneers and Eagles in the 2-7. Oh, look, I fully expect the Bucs to win this fairly comfortably. I don't have a lot of confidence in Jalen Hurts. Again, young player in the playoffs at quarterback. Great fantasy player. 
it's this is this is a problem with fantasy because you look at his numbers and you go, oh, he must be a really good player. But no, he's not a great passer. He's just good at running. He's one of these modern quarterbacks that are basically running backs that throw every now and then. So if they can keep him in the pocket, I think it could be a long day for the Eagles. Well, you know what they say. Everybody hurts. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> against the Buccaneers. Uh, no, I've, I reckon the Eagles will win this. That's my that's my oh, that's my big upset. That's because you're a West Coast. Fuck Tom Brady. No, <laughs> it's it's my big upset for the week. I think the Eagles will go in low scoring game, fourteen to ten. All right, lock it in. They'll get beat like forty five to ten now. It's going to be an absolute bloodbath. Look, a team that nine and eight going into a team that was what thirteen and four. Thirteen and four. It's pretty unlikely. But again, stranger things have happened. Rules are made to be broken, Nate. Well, yes. It's ask not, Novak. It's, yeah. not, it's not really a rule, but <laughs> <laughs> look, you never, never know. You never know. 3-6, Cowboys and 49ers. Yeah, I'm really disappointed that Garoppolo's got an injured hand because I think this could be probably the most exciting potentially game of the first round. But I do worry about Garoppolo's hand. If we're in San Francisco, maybe they'd have a better chance. It is in Dallas. Dallas are very mercurial. They're the third seed, but I don't have a hell of a lot of faith in them. This could still be a really interesting game. If Debo Samuel goes off, maybe, but you have to go with the Cowboys. You have to go with America's team. You have to go with the Cowboys at home. Yeah, they're probably not going to get further than that. But... I, I just wish the 49 I just wish Garoppolo wasn't injured because I think this 49 this team could possibly scare people. But yeah, if they get through this week, maybe, but I don't think they'll do much more than that. Yeah. And that's only because I don't have a lot of belief in the Cowboys, but they're Jekyll and Hyde. You never know what you're going to get. And in the 4-5, we've got the insert location here, Rams versus the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, the LA Rams. Now, it's an interesting one for the Rams because, look, 12 and 5 is a very good record for the Rams. But the problem is that, as far as I, I can remember, Arizona's the only team above 500 that they've beaten twice this season. So their records may be a bit inflated. Arizona, on the other hand, seem to do better on the road than at home. But they've got a dearth of injuries. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is out. And I know better than anyone because he was on my fantasy team. I, I, I've got to go with the Rams here. They were my Super Bowl pick as well. So I've got to back him in. I'll tell you what, though. I really worry about Matthew Stafford. So it was really interesting watching, I think, what's on NFL Countdown, I think it is, before the, the games start. Because I did watch the first quarter of the Colts-Jags game when Lawrence went 11 for 11 and scored. Ugh. Anyway. When things happened that were bad. Yes. But Matt Hasselbeck made a really good point about Matthew Stafford, he said he is not in Detroit anymore. He doesn't need to play hero ball anymore, but he still, every couple of games, there'll be one or two passes where he has a rush of blood and he'll throw a really unnecessary interception. So I do worry about Stafford for the whole length of the playoffs, but I do have the Rams winning this one. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, again, it won't be straightforward, but yeah, something, something along the lines of 21-17 is in the crystal ball. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I'm going to be fucking miles off with all of these because <laughs> I know very little about football. But sometimes it's nice. It's it's almost like when uh, people go out to the races once a year and go, ooh, that horse is wearing green. That's my favourite colour. I'll go for that one. It's fun to have a guess. Yeah. You Will you watch a bit of the playoffs though, do you reckon? Probably. Yeah. Play, it's fun. Yeah. Playoffs are good. Playoffs are good. Yeah. Different ball game. The good thing is that over here in Australia, the first games will be on Sunday. So because there'll be some Saturday US games. Well, so, that's, that's a good thing. We've already had a couple of coach sackings. Coach sacking season starts as soon as the season finishes. Oh, sacking day. Yeah, oh, basically. Day. Um, I think some, there's, some people think Fangio was maybe a 
bit unlucky in Denver. A lot of other people think that his game day tactics are a bit shit and he has a pretty good team, but for a quarterback. So maybe that. So anyway, yeah, that, that's going to be interesting. And just quickly, tip of the hat to Georgia, who won the college football championship today against Alabama. Alabama yeah. And it was one of those funny things. So before the game, everyone. So in the SEC championship game, Alabama beat Georgia. And so this has been a rematch of sorts. And a lot of people were saying in the rematch, the other team always wins. And sure enough, it happened again. So Georgia won the one that counted. They sure did. And now, this week in sport history. January 8th, 1945, the University of Kentucky Wildcats men's basketball team under legendary coach Adolph Rupp sets an NCAA record by limiting the Arkansas State Red Wolves to just six points in a 75-6 win as part of the Division I record 129-game home winning streak that spanned 12 years. <laughs> There's not actually a whole heap of information on this match, unfortunately, but the Red Wolves did not help themselves much. They went two for nine from the free-throw line in that game. Ouch. Wow. Kentucky actually ran 16 players with only Wilbur Shue failing to score, and they also played without future NBA All-Star and All-NBA first-team player Alex Groza. For the record, the 129 consecutive home wins is 30 clear of St. Bonaventure in second place. Wow. it's no other word. January 9th, 1958, playing NCAA basketball for the Cincinnati Bearcats, future NBA Hall of Famer Oscar Robertson single-handedly outscored his Seton Hall opponents by two points after amassing 56 in his team's 118-54 to victory, his first appearance at Madison Square Garden. Robertson held the record for most points at MSG in college or pros for over 50 years until Kobe Bryant broke it after scoring 61 in 2009. James Harden also had a 61 there in 2019, but the record now belongs to Carmelo Anthony after he scored 62 against the then Charlotte Bobcats in 2014. I remember watching we watched that it at your house. Yeah. yeah, that half quarter that he hit yeah. at the end of the first half was just oh, nuts. Now, yeah, we just jacked that, didn't we? And my brother was there too for some reason. Yeah, I was, can't even remember. It was one why. of those games yeah. that we looked at and went, Oh, New York and Charlotte, this is going to be a bunch of crap. Yeah, I think we just kind of kept one eye on it and then it kind of got more and more yeah, interesting like, oh, and we okay. kind of got closer and right. closer he's, to the he's, TV. He's got 25, he's got 30. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Robertson was a high school Indiana Mr. Basketball and had hoped to be a Hoosier, but their head coach, Branch McCracken, well, he was a racist prick, basically. Yeah. Robertson had a very successful college career and was consensus first-team All-American in all three of his seasons. Cincinnati's success continued, and they won back-to-back national championships shortly after he left in 61 and 62. Robertson went on to be one of the greatest NBA players of all time, a Hall of Famer, a nine-time All-NBA first-team player, NBA at 75 player, basically the man synonymous with triple-doubles until Russell Westbrook did it in a season. Mm -hmm. January 11th, 2001, the New York Knicks hold an opponent under 100 points for an NBA record 29th straight game in a 76-75 loss to the Houston Rockets. They snapped a 46-year-old record of 28 straight set by the Fort Wayne Pistons in 1954-55. As it was, the game before the streak started was a 103-101 overtime win over Boston, and that only went to overtime because of a three-pointer by Chris Carr, his only basket of the night. Even then, the Celtics only got to 100 because Charlie Ward sent Rick Brunson to the line, up four, with one and a half seconds left to stop him from launching a three. They would get to 33 straight before the streak killer Milwaukee Bucks put 105 points on them behind a balanced attack of Sam Cassell, Glenn Robinson, Ray Allen, and Lindsay Hunter. Oh, it's my youth. You've just mentioned so many names from my youth. It's not funny. This was a really, really boring era of basketball, though. A lot of posting up, a low volume of shots. 
Scores in the 70s and 80s all the time. Yeah. Antoine Walker launching threes, all that sort oh. of stuff. <laughs> January 12th, 2013, and a very appropriate one on the eve of the NFL playoffs, as it's what's now known as the Mile High Miracle Game between the Denver Broncos and Baltimore Ravens in an AFC Divisional Playoff matchup. The Broncos led 35-28 with a minute nine remaining in the fourth quarter before quarterback Joe Flacco launched a 70-yard touchdown pass to receiver Jacoby Jones to tie the game before the Ravens would go on to win 38-35 in double OT. This is one of only six double overtime games in NFL postseason history and was the coldest playoff game ever played in Denver. But truth be told, it probably should have never got to overtime given Denver had beaten the Ravens 34-17 in Baltimore less than a month earlier. Denver led 35-28 after a 17-yard touchdown from Demarius Thomas, may you rest in peace, with just over seven minutes left, and the Broncos got the ball back with 3.16 to go after Baltimore got to the 31-yard line before turning it over on downs. The Ravens used all of their timeouts to stop the clock before fielding a punt with a minute and nine left, leading to the Hail Mary. Given the Broncos only had a three-man rush and eight guys dropping back into coverage, there's no way this pass should have ever found Jones. But cornerback Tony Carter was supposed to jam Jones at the line of scrimmage and follow him to the sideline. He did neither. Raheem Moore and Jim Leonard had Jones two-on-one, but weren't set up for the long pass, instead expecting a Baltimore first down, given there was still over a minute left. And Jones basically ran past both of them for the score, before Justin Tucker nailed a 47-yard field goal in the second overtime. You could be forgiven, though, Stewie, for thinking that this was a team of destiny, though. Those Ravens, of course, going on to beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl eventually. It was the Harbour Bowl, or the Harbour, because Jim and John Harbour coached against each other. Great game, and, and Colin Kaepernick, of course, after he had a great NFC championship game. Uh, crazy times. Crazy times, indeed. God knows what would have happened if he'd kept playing. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, yeah, he broke all sorts of records in the previous week, mm. so... Yep. I want to rip your heart out as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, look, as a Peyton Manning fan, that one was tough. Do you know, the funny thing is, I don't actually remember watching it. Like, I remember the game, but because I went to double OT, this is before Kyo and all that sort of stuff. It's possible I taped it and my tape ran out. Oh, wow. I, I just, I, I, I've just erased it from my brain. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not the worst thing in the <laughs> yeah. world. Oh, double overtime, that's, yeah. Don't get many of those. No, not at all. This Week in Sport History. So we had a very exciting draw in the fourth Ashes Test, Joey. It was very close to an Australian win. A few overs, maybe it would have happened. Bad light, maybe it would have happened. Not as much rain, maybe it would have happened. They went off for the first rain delay less than five overs into the match. In total, there were five rain delays across day one, so it was pretty affected. But I think overall, we got just over four days worth of play across the five days accumulatively. So it was enough for a result. But alas, England can save face a little. Thanks mainly to Johnny Besto. I love how you use the phrase exciting draw because I know that there are millions and millions of people out there who'd be like, what's that's it, a contradiction. What's exciting about a draw? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You don't understand, that's what. No. So yes, Australia 8 for 416 declared and 6 for 265 declared. Draw with England 294 and 9 for 270. Yeah. Tantalizingly close. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely... <laughs> Summed up perfectly by Ali Martin, the cricket writer from The Guardian. Test cricket, where bad light can see a batsman trying to bowl his team to victory against two bowlers trying to bat their team to a draw. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Beautiful. Yeah, it's true. It is very, very nice to see, well, firstly, a test go to day five, which is certainly what I think a lot of English fans and certainly Mike Atherton were after. Yes, another one this series, yep. But yes, even nicer that it literally came down to the last ball of the match. Yes. Knowing that there could still be 
a different result. It's not often you see a test where you feel like multiple different outcomes are perfectly suitable. Australia probably deserved to win it. Anytime you declare twice and you're one wicket away from winning at the end, you do feel kind of robbed. But I think given how the rest of the tour has gone, even though it's a little bit too late, the way that England fought, they well and truly deserved something out of it. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think Australia probably should have declared earlier and that probably hurt them too. Well, we will talk about that. But, yep. but yeah, I mean, sure. Like England didn't field particularly well. I'm looking at you, Joe Root, dropping Kawaja on 28 with an absolute soda. Oh, mate, that was terrible, wasn't it? And then he goes on and makes 130 on. Do you know what that reminded me of? So when we were kids, we used to dolly catches to each other. Yep. And we'd do the old team that can never get a hat trick. So we'd dolly <laughs> one catch, dolly another one catch, dolly another one, ooh, 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 juggle it around, intentionally drop it. And that was kind of one of our, I don't know, the things you do to pastimes as a kid. <laughs> Where did that even come well, from? Well, that's what it reminded me of. That catch, that dropped catch with Kawaja on 28 was that bad. It reminded me of us intentionally dropping catches when we used to play team that can never get a hat trick. Absolutely. There were also times, I guess you could argue, where it looked like they were just bowling to get a declaration. But honestly, as you mentioned, Johnny Bairstow, the way that he dug in, the way that Stokes dug in, you know, both of them in both Yeah, games, after I criticised Stokes' resilience at the crease too. Stokes did, yeah. yeah. Really and they're both did. injured. Yeah. Oh, they really They're banged are. up. Yeah. I mean, Stokes' side is stuffed. Bairstow copped a really nasty one on the hand. Oh, he's playing first. with a broken thumb. And, and Zach Crawley as well. Yes. Give him yeah. a lot of credit. I mean, he... Made a, a really nice 77. After getting out off a no ball. Well, yes. It's been a few of them. Look, sometimes you've got to take the bit of luck. I mean... Oh, of course. It, Absolutely. Both teams. It happens yeah. to a number of players. Oh, it happens every match. I honestly believe, though, that that century from Johnny Bairstow is the most courageous innings. Certainly one of the most courageous ones I've ever seen. Dean Jones, probably the all-timer for the... Oh, in, in recent yeah. history, it, it's hard to think of, of a bigger one. And yeah, it's, it was a very, very good knock. And, and it wasn't just that he made a century. It was how he did it. 71 strike rate with, as you say, you know, a broken, a hand, a broken yeah. bone in his hand. Like yep. Every time that that ball hits the bat, that's, jarring. Got, that's got to be reverberating up there. Yep. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Just quickly, do you reckon he's a bit of a mixed marriage between Cameron and Mitchell from Modern Family? <laughs> I think I started laughing before you finished that because you put it in our chat. Yeah. You actually had to explain. You just referred to him as modern family. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> But he, yeah, look, I, I can see it. I can he, see it. He's always had a little bit, and it, it's because he's got the beard and he's got the, the sort of the ginger hair, but he's he's stacked on a few kilos. There's no two ways. Well, that. I mean, we can't talk. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. He's, yeah. he's doing it for all the slightly short pudgy <laughs> blokes out there like me. So I appreciate that. But it, just the way that he's kind of got a bit rounder in the face it kind of thought he looks a little bit like a mix yeah no we could call him modern family from now yeah modern family yeah good times i did find it really interesting though in the first dig england going 71 balls without a single run how does that happen i know it's bizarre it's bizarre like okay bowling cummins green all on fire but surely you can find a single in 12 overs well on day three in the first session they were four for 36 and then in the second session they were none for 99 yeah. So it, it really was a tale of different sessions across the board throughout the duration of the match. Yeah. yeah. Now, talking of riding luck, and again, like I said, both teams will always ride luck in a test match. There's going to be dropped catches. There's going to be missed stumpings, missed runouts. There was a pretty key missed runout by Alex Carey. His glove work was a bit There's iffy. Patches, anything. I know but how was the Cameron Green one? Oh, so the ball hits the stumps very clearly. Bales don't come off, so he's not out. I think it was Ben Stokes. It was Stokes, yeah. So, yeah, another bizarre well, one. They, well, they've gone up and appealed because he's thought, oh, well, the bales haven't come off. It must hit the back pad. Yeah. And off we go. Yep. And, yeah, sure enough, it's 
I remember watching it at the time doing a really sort of incredulous sort of appeal like how was that yeah no i knew it wasn't out because i've seen it happen before i think i'm pretty sure that's hit the stump yeah yep no i've seen it happen before where the stump hasn't been dislodged it's just one of those really unlucky things but did you see the footage of david warner after like smoking (laughs) prodding moving a little bit banging it's like how much does it take to get this fucking veil dislodged get get joss butler out he'll find a way (laughs) well yeah 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 (laughs) so nath the declaration we've kind of alluded to it yes there's obvious questions here, and I know your answer to the first one. Did it come too late? I think it probably did, but hindsight's twenty twenty. But it probably did, yeah. Was this a declaration that said there are only two outcomes in this game and neither of them are England wins? Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. So clearly there was only going to be a draw and Australia win. Even if they declared the minute Kawaja got that ton, that still would have been about 15 extra minutes. And when you're bowling at tailenders, who knows? That might have been enough time. But again, hindsight's 2020. Maybe he should have declared before Kawaji got the ton. But they wanted to give him that incredible record. Very few players have got tons in both innings, which hats off to Usman. I actually called for him to be in the first test. I actually went back and listened to make No, I know, yeah. I know that yeah. I was dead set against it. And we'll, we'll talk about Uzi in a minute as well. But Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I think... Yeah, you, I mean, you're right. You're absolutely, there's no way to possibly know. But I think Cummins had a plan in place. Sometimes these plans don't work yeah, out. Yeah. I mean, maybe in an alternate universe, the light stays at the end of day five and Australia can bowl pace and they get the last wicket. And I'm glad you bring up the light because the really unfortunate thing is he threw the ball to Lyon before bad light was called. He might have got another over or two himself. Or Boland. Boland could have got another over or two and he was looking very damaging. He's looked very damaging every time he's touched the ball. So I bet he probably wishes he had that one back. Don't just throw the ball to the spinners. I mean, okay, Nathan Lyon, pretty special player. Reasonable, yeah. You could be forgiven for thinking he would have taken that final wicket, but you just wonder if he wishes he he maybe kept the ball himself or threw it to mm-hmm. Scotty Boland. Look, I don't have a major problem with the timing of it. You look at it and say a lot seemed to kind of transpire against Australia winning. We've got, as we've already mentioned, Alex Carey had a shocker with the gloves. Yep. Steve Smith uncharacteristically dropped one at slips now. Oh, uh, no, yeah, it, it, that was a half chance. It, it carried. Yeah, but fucking hell. This is Steve Smith we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, nah, but that, that's a really, really tough chance. Like, his reaction time would have been less than a half a second. It carried, but... It was a millimetre off the ground. You can look at me however you want. Oh, it's, uh, and it's, you can look at me how you want. It is Stephen Smith. No, no, I love Smitty. He is... But I, I, that was only a half chance to me. I I, yeah. I think it's a lot more than a half chance. Oh, no, no, yeah. knowing, knowing how good Smitty is, yeah. some of the catches he has taken the slip... Oh, down, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. is a phenomenal... And he will be pissed off at himself for dropping it because it was a very, very crucial point in the match that could have easily been the difference. Anyway... As we mentioned, Cam Green bowling Ben Stokes on when the bales don't fall off. Yep. And then just as importantly, the rain. Another thing, of course, is if Camo doesn't get that double wicket maiden towards the end, we're not even talking about this because England are only seven down. Well, this is it. He's not an in-swing bowler. He's not a guy who gets LBWs. I think they said it was... Oh, that York to Wood, though. Yeah. Oh, that was incredible. It was the ninth and tenth LBWs of his entire international career. That toe cruncher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that was quite uncharacteristic. Yep. But yeah, it just, it did. It seemed like a few things maybe transpired against and maybe it was destiny that the English side held on for a draw. And, it, and it's, 
it's what the series needed was oh, yeah. a sign of life. Yeah, and good on Crawley as well for digging in. And well, he, he, he actually went at it quite a, a good rate. Mm. So yeah, uh, this is what you love about Test cricket. And I'm, I'm glad it went to five days because I actually got to see some of it. Yeah, well, that, that is a good thing. <laughs> because those first couple of tests, because they were on while we were at work, I didn't get to see nearly enough. But I actually feel like I've seen enough Test cricket this summer now because I watched a lot of day four and five of this one. Now, it is time, I guess, to return a little bit of serve on Sydney. They're always giving us shit. Time for us to give Sydney a little bit back. And it's a fantastic tweet that I saw from one Rick Finlay, and it was talking about the amount of tests that each capital city hosts per washout, that being a complete day lost to rain. Yeah, I saw this one as well. And Rick Finlay is one of the great Twitter followers if you're a cricket aficionado. He is fantastic. So Adelaide, one washout for every 40 tests. That's a pretty good effort. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, you'll take that. Hobart, surprisingly, was after them. One in every 13. Yeah, okay. Melbourne, one in every 11.4. Brisbane, one in every eight. Sydney, one in every 4.36. Wow. That's horrible. Yeah. Perth, never. Yeah. Never. Well, Warney made the good point. They need to change the calendar. Maybe they shouldn't get the New Year's test. Maybe they need to look at the rainfall and try and fit it in somewhere else. Yeah, like Perth. No, no, I mean, (laughs) put the Sydney test somewhere else in the, you know, I don't know. And look, maybe you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't anyway with this one. Absolutely. But the thing is, it's not even like we have an amazing Ashes record at the SCG anyway. 27 wins, 22 losses and eight draws now. Yeah, right. It's not phenomenal. And you can't even say, oh, yeah, but what about recently? We've only won three in the last six Ashes tests at the SCG. Two losses and a draw to go with that since 2003. Mm. So, well, England won the series in 2010. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah. it's not even like it's a happy hunting ground the, no. way, the way that Brisbane was. Or... Oh, yeah, but you still got to play. It's the SCG for Christ's sake. You still got to play there. Why? But, well, yeah. Yeah. What's well, the SCG for Christ's sake? You got the money, Stewie. The money. Why? They seat a lot more people than Bell Reeve, for example. Do they seat more than Perth. Uh, and, well, I, and, I, and I know why we lost it. I yeah, know. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. Like, yeah, well, I would be going this Saturday. Front row seats I had if it had been going ahead. Just yeah. still go. <laughs> just uh, well, and, the queues won't be bad. Just sit there and yell. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get the game going. It's a bloody outrage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, well, that's pretty damning. I did see that tweet, but I didn't remember it being that bad. Yeah, okay. Come on, Sydney. Yeah. Get it together. Indeed. So Usman Kawaja. What a story. Indeed, yep, yep. What a story. Yep. I mean, yeah, a lot of people, including yourself, calling for him to join the squad. I wasn't sure because, I mean, he'd been pretty poor in the lead-up. He had 11-5 and against a second-string English bowling lineup. But sometimes it takes a little bit of luck. As I mentioned, that aforementioned drop by Joe Root propels him on to make a century. Yep. And then a second one from there. Aussies with twin centuries and an Ashes test, there's now six. So Warren Bardsley in 1909, Arthur Morris in 1947, Steve War 97, Hayden 2002, Steve Smith in 2019, and now Kawaja. Yeah. Oh, it's a very rare feat. It's good enough getting 100, let alone 200s in two innings. Mm. Incredible. And he also joins Ricky Ponting and Doug Walters as the only players with twin centuries at the SCG. So absolute masterclass of batting from a guy. He just looked relaxed. Oh, that offside stuff was fantastic. The cuts, the cover drives. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Yeah, he is more relaxed. He does play more relaxed because I think he knows that he's not a walk up to the team. He's just happy to be there, I think. So he's playing with a bit more freedom. Well, he's not batting to stay in the side for the next century because he knows that he's probably only got a few years left. So if he can make the most of it, have a bit of fun, it'll be be what it'll be and the cards will fall where they may. And look where they fell. Yep. 
So, yeah, really, really great to watch. And, and he's probably done enough to hold his spot for the next test. Oh, surely. You'd think. You, they can't Jason Gillespie him, can they? Like, correct. You, you would hope not. Yeah. Pretty, pretty yeah. Well, the way Marcus Harris has been pretty unimpressive. So, but they're saying that Travis Head may not definitely come back. So it's it's a bit interesting. I actually, if it went for the stupid test championship and it didn't mean a little bit more, I would have loved to have seen them throw in a few different guys knowing we're going to the subcontinent. I think we've got something like 10 or 11 tests. Okay. So I would have liked to see Swepson get a game in Hobart and maybe a couple of the other fringe batters as well, but I don't think it'll happen. No. Yeah. Well, that's probably a perfect segue into selection. So do you have any thoughts, I guess, start with the Aussies? Any thoughts on people coming in and out? Well, apparently Hazelwood's no good anyway, so he's not going to be right. He's done, yeah. They're worried about Stark's workload, but he's so good with the pink ball. So I think you have to play Stark, even though he's probably going to be bloody knackered by the end of it. I'd like to see Kawaja come in for Harris, probably, if Head comes back in. If Head doesn't come back in, then I guess the only change... Well, maybe no change. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I had head for Harris, definitely. Yeah. If he's, if, if if he's, he's good, yeah. I mean, Harris made some runs, you know, 38 to 27, but the, the suspect footwork. And he hasn't been great in the field either. No, he dropped an absolute yeah. sitter at bat pad. Yeah. In a really key moment. And that was off Stokes as well. Yeah. I did actually have Richardson in for Stark. Because I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Richardson will move it around a little bit as well. But yeah, Stark just looked so tired. In that well, well I've just remembered Boland might be in a bit of trouble. So Richardson might come in for Boland. I there think. you go. Yeah. Or, or the other forgotten guy, Neza. You know yeah, I mean? well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Michael Neza came in and took a five for in his yep. only test. So yeah. It just everyone who's it's come so in, competitive. Everyone yeah. who's come in with bat and ball yep. has done something. It's yep. yeah, it's been magnificent. England, where do you go? Well. They'd be crazy to play Stokes and Bairstow when they're banged up as bad as they are. Yep. And I think you, I think the Test Championship is gone. Well, yeah. I mean, they've lost the Ashes. They've already lost three Tests to start the year. It's, it's going to be hard for them. Yeah. Butler's the other one with a cloud. So they might be changing three players. Apparently, they're getting Sam Billings up there to potentially have a crack. So who's left for England, basically? Yeah. I mean, I think... Hamid's absolutely done like a dinner. Like, I think he might play just because of numbers, but beyond this series, he's probably in a bit of trouble. I mean, maybe Crawley and Burns are their openers. You, you've got to go with Burns. I yeah. mean, okay, he's probably the lesser of two fairly average openers, but at the end of the day, he has made runs against Australia. He just needs to get past the first 10 overs and he'll be fine. But Bairstow and Butler will miss. It's unlikely that Stokes will play as well. I think Ollie Pope and Billings to come in for those two. If Stokes doesn't play, yeah, pick someone out of the Wokes, ground. probably Wokes. Wokes, maybe, yeah. He's kind of an all-rounder. He's pretty much an all-rounder, but not to the level that Stokes is. I but... mean, give Alex Hales a go. Yeah, well, yeah. He's over in Australia. Pick, pick one of the blokes in the Big Bash, yeah. I mean, take him for David Milan. He's looked out of form all of a sudden. Oh, I'd, I'd say Milan will keep his spot, but he's, he might try and play his way back into form with a dead rubber. He's only had about 21 runs. He hasn't last, had a great series. Last but, four innings. Well, yeah. I mean, he started off well, but he's yeah, just... Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, I did actually have Wokes coming in for Jimmy Anderson. He looks a bit tired as well. They've just got to try some stuff. I mean, it doesn't matter as much. They just have to field a team. But they'll, they'll think they have a chance. I think they'll think they have a chance. And they should. It depends if they win the toss. You will. Have they won one yet? Well, they won the first one and then they stuffed that up. So, yeah. 
I guess we'll quickly round out the Ashes with a random stat. This is courtesy of our good friend, Sir Swamp Thing. Ah, uh, yes, and the other essential follow for all sports fans. So in the first innings of this, Nathan Lyon scored 16 runs in 12 minutes. In the previous decade, Lyon had only made 17 runs at the SCG. <laughs> Don't you love those crazy... What a crazy stat. Oh, that's fantastic. That is just nuts. <laughs> so. oh, thanks, Swampy. Now, Nathan, a little bit extra going on around the world. So Bangladesh in their tour of New Zealand, very mixed results in the first two tests. Well, hats off to them. They had a win. Yeah, absolutely. Their first ever win in New Zealand. And they did it pretty comprehensively by eight wickets. It was an absolute smashing in Mount Manganui. Well, and and New Zealand haven't lost at home for like two years. 17 tests or something. Hmm. I mean, obviously there's some draws there, but like, it's huge. It is huge. Better opponents have failed to win in New Zealand in the last couple of years. So hats off to Bangladesh. Well Absolutely. done. Absolutely. Yeah. Now they did come back to earth with a resounding Big fight time. in the second. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and again, good teams will bounce back. So New Zealand have done that. They will. So New Zealand six declared for 521 won by an innings and 117 runs in this one. It was an absolute bloodbath. So 148-run opening stand between Tom Latham and Will Young, 215-run second wicket stand between Latham and Devin Conway. Conway made 109, Latham out for 252. Yeah, huge. Not much resistance from the Bangladeshis, as I said, but the greatest part of this, Ross Taylor's last ever test, he takes the last wicket. Ah, very nice. I didn't see that. Removed Ebidot Hussain. Ah, bowling this little yeah. dibbly doblet. So he finishes 0.3 yeah. overs, no maidens, one for none. That's awesome. And that's why they would have thrown him the ball because yeah. they would have thought, oh. Yeah, Sneaky chance. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, awesome. That was a really, really nice moment. Great finish. Yeah. And it, was, it was a pretty decent catch, actually. It was not a not a lolly by any stage. It was up a bloody mile. So good times. Yeah, very good. Just a little quick one on the BBL. The Perth Scorchers continuing to show they're a class above right now. They actually look better without Cameron Bancroft, which is... Yeah, I've great. always been a bit iffy on him on the short form. He has proved me wrong on occasion, but he can sometimes not score quick enough. He's too slow, yeah. Yeah. I think the one that the Scorchers lost the other day was out for 30 or 31, which you just you can't do. You can't chew up that many deliveries and not make a score. So, look, a good win today. Seven points clear of the Sydney Thunder on top. They've played an extra game. I mean, how there's a huge asterisk on this whole season. Oh, yeah. Zampa's come out and said that it's an absolute fast, that Cricket Australia's taking the piss. They played two matches in less than a day. Well, I think the reason that it, it has come across as so farcical, and I, I completely agree with Zampa, is that there have been times when the Melbourne Stars have had 10 first-name players gone. Yeah. Sitting in these, these COVID protocols. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they had so many staffers as well. So yeah. their, their whole squad, not just playing people, decimated. And so they've had to go in with these uncontracted grey cricketers. Funnily enough, my wife's half-sister actually is good friends with one of the guys who found Oh, there you go. How's so and he, and he played really well for, oh, the, for the, the Stars. So it, it is good, but then you look at the Scorchers and Adelaide Strikers game being postponed. So it's like, well, yeah. how fair is that? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's no rhyme or reason. And this is what I was alluding to with Draymond Green last week, I think it was. He's like, well, where's the consistency? And they've played a night game and then they've had to back it up the very next day. So they've played two games in yeah, like 16 hours. Yeah, or I think they said it was a 15-hour game. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, yeah, and now, it's a shame. But now they've actually started talking about introducing this pool of replacement players to fill the gaps each player is kind of being assigned to a home team, so to speak. So, mm. so this, is, well, your, that's this is your club. Yeah, well, I saw that. I, I, can't, I didn't take note of his name, but I noticed there's a bloke that's already played for two different teams. Mm. So, yeah, it is becoming a bit silly. It is. But the thing is, at this stage, they've only listed one player for each team. 
Right. How fucking pointless is well, that? Well, the Melbourne Stars will be saying, uh, we might need a few might more. Need a few more. They, I know Maxi's back. Then but... They need to add at least three or four more players per team as a bare minimum. Yeah. Like there is talk that they will increase those numbers, but why even start with one player? Yeah. There's going to be more than that out for every yeah, team. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's a bit, it's a bit weird. You, you would have thought you'd at least have a, a batter and a bowler. <laughs> at you, least you two. Would, you would think. But so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I, I tell you what, Stewie, I feel less bad about us always relegating the BBL to an afterthought because I listened to the recent Great Cricketer podcast and they barely talked about the BBL oh, as well. So clearly, like, yeah, who gives a shit? Maybe some young kids, I the mean, players themselves, I guess. But... I mean, we do being from Perth because our team's playing beautifully. But Yeah, well, again, it's a pretty big asterisk, isn't it? It, it's, it is. It's not. Yeah. I, I think it, honestly, I think it'll just come down to Perth and the Sydney Thunder at this stage. They're the one team that I actually am a little bit scared of. Their batting lineup, when you look at guys like Jason Sanger, Matthew Gilks, they're, they're third and seventh on the, the run scorers. Billings is sitting eighth. Okay, he'll drop out to, to go. England, and yeah. yeah. Um, Alex Hales is sitting 12th, though. You got Alex Ross, Usman Kawaja could come back in after the Ashes. Daniel Sams can beast them. Well, that's the thing. The whole landscape could change after the Ashes. So you just got to get into the finals. Hmm. With one game elimination, anything can happen. Perth could lose in the semis. It, it will be interesting. Though. Yeah. It will be interesting. So, Shui, uh, I guess we should recap a rollicking round six. Oh, packed round. Huge. Huge. Will we have enough time? Well, I mean, look, if you can't get through one game in two hours, I don't know. But... <laughs> New Zealand 88 defeated Brisbane 83. They got their win. They, they got, got their first win. On the board. They've had bad news since. They probably won't play a home game the whole season, which we're not all that surprised. But No, not at all. But no, good on New Zealand and good to see them on the board. Yep. Finally. Now, I said in episode 82, Christmas Wreath, the key to them winning games is get Yanni Wetzel in pick and rolls. And look what happened. Oh, he's a beast. He's a beast. 27 points, eight boards. Brisbane could not stop him. His footwork was impeccable. He shot free throws well, nine of 11. So if he gets fouled, it's fine. Just keep it simple, New Zealand. Just keep it simple. He and Besson have been the the good news stories of the breakers this year. Yeah, Besson's he's been a little bit down in recent times, to be honest. I oh, mean, yeah, you've been his age. I don't know. Oh, I, yeah. I still think he's he's been good to watch. For me, this was actually a really good bounce back for Jeremiah Martin. Now, I, I absolutely badmouthed him all of the last couple of weeks saying that he's not quite right. Look, the points aren't there. This was very much an eye test sort of one, though. 10 points, okay, not a huge amount, but the shot selection is worlds better. He's not just settling for the jump shot. He's getting into the lane. He's attacking the paint, getting his floaters going, getting layups, and he got eight assists as well. So if the shots are not there, he's making good passes. He's finding wets. He's contributing, the yeah. Absolutely he is. McDowell White's the other success story, of course. But yeah. now Sivers back. Well, this is it. I mean, I thought... Like Besson and Will McDowell-White were kind of in and out of this game a little bit. Finn Delaney, there's still nothing from him. They're not getting him enough shots. They're not four of nine, I think he was in this one. I, I didn't think... I mean, look, Peyton Siver showed glimpses, but he still looks a fair way off the mark right now. Well, first game back from injury. Yeah, I just... I'm not sure. I'm not sure about him. But yeah, it, it honestly just needs to be all about Wetzel until someone stops him. Yep. Oh, he'll have an eye on the NBA now, I reckon. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, there'd be a lot of teams out there that would be happy to have him. He's making the right progress. Brisbane, they weren't great. This This is Brisbane in a nutshell to me. Now, as I said at the top, unfortunately, I didn't get to see the second half. But this is Brisbane. They they beat Illawarra. They look really good. They come to Perth. They beat Perth in double OT. They look really good. And then they drop games at home they should win. Yep. This is, yeah. 
up and down. Th- this is the sort of performance I was expecting from Brisbane this year, and it's why I had them missing the playoffs. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I kind of had them. I kind of had them on the cusp of the playoffs because they'll win the games they shouldn't every now and then, but they'll also drop games they should win. Yeah, so a, a lot of passengers in this one. Patterson was okay. Franks was okay. Sobe was okay. You can give a free pass to Franks because he's had a great season so oh, far. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So he's entitled to a bad game. Yeah. Anthony Drew was pretty solid. Jack Salt was actually... Jack Salt was very good superb. from what I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five of six shooting, 10 points, five boards in 11 minutes off the bench. Just, he looked brilliant. How did Brisbane just keep finding these centres? They could let Hodgson go. They could let Froling go. Because they still, they just have all these big guys. And then they still don't play him properly. Well, that's another This story. is the thing. Like, he does he does that in, what, 11 minutes? Play him 20. Yeah, exactly. See yeah, what, yeah, yeah. You, well, you've got to throw the rotations out the window when someone's playing well. Leave him in. Yeah. Absolutely. I will say this, though. When you see James Duncan on the sideline with a massive, massive mask covering his entire mouth right down to his neck and it not even touching his nose, it is hard to want good things for Brisbane. <laughs> It's, how freaking hard is it to wear a mask properly? <laughs> Doesn't he wear glasses? As a glass wearer. Not, not in that game he was. Oh, okay, yeah. As, as someone who wears glasses, it fogs up all the time when it's over your nose. I mean, I still put it over my is that, nose. Is that cause... why you intentionally lost yours at the Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. But look, it was a great result for the breakers and it was great for the league. You Absolutely, yes. No one wants to see a team go winless for an entire season. Especially when they're not going to play a home game, probably. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah, when they're doing the league. Like, it must be hard enough for those poor buggers. It's Any silver lining is a good one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Good little pickup as well for the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, Brandon Ashley. So Great was, little pickup. Love a, that pickup. Yeah, he was a, a 10 and 7 guy a couple of seasons ago with New Zealand. Athletic six foot nine guy gives them some pretty decent front court punch. Might sure up the second unit as well. Foul troubles may be an issue with him, but I, I don't. I don't think he'll play enough minutes to yeah. to have foul trouble issues. He's the sort of guy I thought the Wildcats would have really liked. Actually, I mean Fraser, you know, the jury's still out on him, Look, but he's just short. I think we need a bit of size. But yeah, no, I like that pickup for Southeast Melbourne. It's a low risk, high reward pickup. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a really Quite good frankly. one. And they were teasing it a few days and there was a lot of speculation. Oh, who's it going to be? Brandon Ashley, someone we're all familiar with. A former breaker. One of those aforementioned New Zealand breakers. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Shuri, we thought we'd talk about the NBL's options quickly. We've already talked about the replacement players in the cricket. That's something that looks like it might happen. You picked up a Pete Hawley list where he mentioned a bunch of replacement players. I didn't actually see that one. Yeah, I mean, there were a few that were maybe a little bit iffy, guys. You know, David Anderson, Damian Martin, guys that have officially retired. Um, there were a few other guys, though, like Jeremy Kendall was on that list. Um, you had Adam Gibson. I, I did see Cody Ellis off the list. I don't, oh, know, I, don't know, I don't know why. I mean, it was put out to the, the general public and... I know Cody, I think, was the first or second name that was listed on there by someone. So, Oh, yeah, he's not that old. Get him in. Obviously, he's not being forgotten by a huge percentage of the basketball community. And obviously, yeah, we would cross everything and pray for Cody that he, uh, he gets he a gets chance. He gets a shot. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of teams that could use his talent and his heart. So, yeah, fingers crossed. It wouldn't be a surprise if former players that have retired recently would come back in, though. I mean, Conrad, he never left. Yeah. So it could happen. Yeah. That, and do you remember that time Scotty Fisher came back and he wore 45 like Jordan did when he came back? I don't, do you, I don't know. Really? Remember you that. don't remember I don't that? Remember that no. So, okay. You remember Fish doing the fish slide after home games? Absolutely. And yeah, they, yeah. So, they, so there was one season after he retired. I can't remember when it was, but we had really big injury problems. I think even we brought Pete Hansen back. And so Fish came back to play in a game and rather than wearing the 30, he wore the 45. 
And he did the fish slide afterwards. They interviewed him. You know, it's when we had season tickets. I don't remember that. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Huh. I'm not suggesting he comes back. He's coaching the University of Santa Barbara. I mean, that could legitimately be bullshit and I would have no idea. No, it's true. I'm not, I'm not saying it is, but it's just... I'll like... tell you what else is true. He's he's with uh, Clint Eastwood's ex. Clint Eastwood's what? Like 86? Yeah, he does her up for himself. He, he, well. Yeah. Done very well. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So we talked about the NBL's options last week. I wonder if we wrote off the bubble too quickly. Now, I know there's a lot of issues with the bubble in the NBL. It does not have the money of the NBA or the AFL like we talked about, obviously, an overseas or a domestic league that have used bubbles in the past. I'm wondering if they investigate a mini bubble. So, like, maybe try and fit in three games in a week, five games in a week and a half, two weeks. Look at who's played each other so far. Try and work out two groups of five. You could even have two bubbles, two groups of five in two different places of teams that haven't played each other much. If you do go down that road where you're only playing three games, you can have a team that you've played against, and that's one of the one of the teams you don't play, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that, that's the tricky part, is that if you look at, it's kind of almost been like two bubbles at the moment anyway. I mean, Perth still haven't played Southeast Melbourne. They haven't played Sydney, Illawarra, Melbourne United. So to go and play those four teams, it would mean those guys would then have to play each other. So, And that's where it gets tricky. There's also the issue, New Zealand have played seven games, but Cairns have only played four, for mm. example. Yep. And they have they have come out with three weeks worth of schedule, but already games oh. have been changed. Yeah, it's getting blown up. Yeah, I mean, so you can't, you can't rely on any information at the moment. You're just happy day by day, I think. Mm. So I'm... I'm beginning to get concerned for the whole season. Oh, massively. There's honestly, there's three teams. So Southeast Melbourne, Illawarra and Adelaide have not played a game in rounds four, five or six. So you've got to look at it and say, how long has it been between games for these guys? Well, and Cairns don't play a game in round seven that's scheduled. And they've played the least games of any team in the comp. There you go. So, so that's an issue too. There's Yeah, there's not much going on. I, I think... And how's this, Joey? New Zealand, the team that's played seven games, the most out of anyone... I scheduled to play three games in round seven. Yeah, wow. Let's play three games in five nights. This, that's ridiculous. In fact, it's four games in eight nights when you look at it because they play Sydney and on the twenty third. Yeah, if that goes ahead. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, what, it's almost like they're trying to get all of New Zealand's games out, out of the way. It's, Send it's, them it's, home. <laughs> let's, just, oh. let's just finish this oh. season. Four. Oh wow, it's like a mercy kill. Oh jeez, that's horrible. That is horrible. But it's it's kind of like if you go back to when we were in the Caribbean and you would have some sort of gaps in the cricket where you would have teams playing games every two or three days and then they'd go a week and a half yeah, without yeah, a game. With a long all, break. And then all of a sudden you'd play one game in the lead up to the finals and your momentum's all stuffed. Yeah. So, oh, it's, it's hard. I mean, as we said last week, I pity the poor person who is or people who are doing all of this. Yeah. Look, a long-term bubble is not going to be financially viable, but I just wonder if they either have a big pop-up bubble for a week, week and a half, two weeks, or like I said, maybe even two bubbles where you send five teams to each bubble, or they have a pop-up NBL Cup again. And rather than everyone play each other once, and I did talk about this last week, maybe you don't have, maybe you do have everyone play each other once, or maybe you just work the fixture so that teams are playing the teams they need to play. Hmm. But you can almost, you can almost kiss home and away games goodbye now. If you're lucky enough to be playing on your home four or even in your home state, well done, all power to you. But we've just got to get the games done now. And I, I really think that mini bubbles might be the only option. I don't think it'd be that bad, though, because if you look at it, I mean, not many teams have played 
teams twice. I mean, Perth have played Brisbane twice as an example, and I'm sure the Jack Jumpers have probably played someone twice. Kind of hard to hard to see on here. Yeah, you're looking at my homework. Try, yeah, I'm trying. So yeah. I've got the losses in red. Yeah, yeah they, sh- they should have been in fluoro yellow. But no, it it is kind of. I'm looking at it. I don't think anyone's played anyone three times yet. So you could still figure it out. I, yeah, I hate to say it, but Hutchie, you need to put up some money in. Melbourne have played Sydney three times. Okay, so there you so go. So they lost in round one and then they've won the other two. Okay. Once Golding and them came back. So that's maybe yeah. maybe the one exception. But yeah, I mean, we wrote it off last week, but it now looks like it's probably the only viable way to make this season happen. Well, I think a long-term bubble isn't financially viable. So you can write off a bubble for the rest of the season, I do think. But they really have to think about the potential for maybe a couple of really quick ones. You try and get a few games in a week. Just You just got to clear out the schedule. I don't know if you're going to get every team playing. I think it was 28 is what they're meant to be playing. I don't know if you'll get that. But maybe, uh, maybe it's a real shame. I worry. I do worry. Maybe you go a six-weeker. Just have everyone in there for six weeks. But even that's going to cost a fortune, I think. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, as long as it's just... Buses to and from the hotel, they all use this. Well, this is the problem. It's they, the paying they, for the accommodation. Well, the, the problem is actually also the arena because, as we spoke about, the tennis will be on in yeah, well, that's a right. couple of weeks. So that's they, right. So that's they right. may have to take it out to like Dandenong. Oh, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't matter as long as the rims are ten feet and the court are the right dimensions. I, I don't think beggars can be choosers at this stage. Yeah, one of the bitumen courts <laughs> down, 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 down at the local YMCA. <laughs> Once where there's three right next to each other, yeah. just play all the like the blitz. Just you know? have, to, have to turn the rings around because they're stuck on the, on the netball rings. <laughs> uh, might well, be the only way we get an yeah, outcome. Beggars cannot be choosers. So we have a perfect segue, Stewie. Brad Newley and his draft rights have been traded yeah, from the Melbourne United <laughs> team to the New York Knicks. No, so he's actually had his draft rights thrown into a trade with the New York Knicks as part of the Rajon Rondo trade. It's earlier in the week. It is bizarre. It, it is crazy. A bloke in his mid-30s. Well, this is it. This is a guy who is pretty close to retirement and his draft rights are still being used. I don't even understand personally why that would be thrown. Like, I, mean, I know. I, I couldn't work it out either because they're not paying him. There's draft rights. It's, it's just yeah. a bit of paper. So yeah, yeah makes, I don't get that either. Makes minimal sense. Maybe with the replacement. Play. Get him over there. Be good to see him in an NBA oh, jersey. Why not? Go on. Yeah. I actually saw a tweet from Steve Smith, not cricketer Steve Smith, a, a brilliant follow on Twitter. Yeah, he guy. is actually, yeah. And he's actually spoken. He sort of said, oh, if you think this is crazy, check this out. And there's a list of five guys with the draft rights still being held by teams that are way past 36. So Milwaukee holds the draft rights to Russian Andre Fedosov, who is 49. <laughs> Portland holds the draft rights to Argentinian Marcelo Nicola, who is 50. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Arvita Sabonis. No. Well, <laughs> Arvita Sabonis is probably not much younger than these guys. Yeah. Oklahoma City holds the draft rights to American Abdul Shamsid Dean, who is 53. Probably trade him for a future first rounder. How odd. Phoenix holds the draft right to American Ron Ellis, who is 54. And Atlanta holds the draft rights to Italian Augusto Benelli, who is 57 and actually played for Salus Bologna at age 46. Wow. So. Well, Lewis Scholar was looking pretty good in those Olympics. Yeah, maybe it's. Maybe he should be a replacement. Maybe, maybe, yeah, well, maybe the days of Benelli are not. Yeah, us. yeah, hmm. yeah. The Utah Jazz still hold the rights to Methuselah. So. <laughs> Methuselah rookie card. Wow, 82 conversions. <laughs> Whatever the number is. Yeah, I can't remember. Who would have thought religion and learning could be fun? Religion? Learning? learning? Let's get out of here. <laughs> All right, let's not turn this into a Simpsons quote off. Uh, no, we've done pretty well so far. Yeah. 
So a fair bit going on in the NBA. A lot of it's COVID related. We're not going to talk about any of that stuff because bugger that. We have a feel good story. We've done enough COVID on this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But no, we've got the feel good story. 941 days have passed since game six of the NBA finals in 2019. That was the last time Clay Thompson had played in a game before yesterday. Yeah, finally back. Finally back. 17 shots in 20 minutes, 19 minutes. 18. 18, okay. But pretty close. And yeah. yet Finn Delaney can't get more than six. In the, <laughs> like, what the fuck? I mean, Finn Delaney's not exactly No, I know, but he's, but he's one of the better players. Anyway, yeah, no, it's a great story. Good on him. And it, it makes is. Golden State look even more dangerous. The concern all of a sudden, though, is this amazing growth that we've seen from the likes of Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. Oh, it's a nice problem to have. Might though. recede a little bit. So well, it's a nice problem to have. Wiggins only had nine shots in 34 minutes. Jordan Poole had 12 shots in 24. That's down considerably from what they've been shooting for the previous parts of the season. Look, it's great to see him back on the court. Absolutely, you're right. It is a great problem to have for Golden State. And he's a great defender, so they're always going to give him good minutes. Yeah. The, the best thing for me is that he dunked. Oh, you know, God. he could have he could have laid that up, but instead he went for the jam. That was massive. It was that was a good sign. Very good sign. To be well, yeah, you're right, actually, because it was a dunk that caused that injury. Exactly. A very so, similar, very similar circumstances yeah. caused the injury. So so he's he's got confidence, which is good. This is absolutely the story the league needs right now with all this COVID shit going on. Like just a really good story. All of the guys, all the big players from around the league were tweeting saying, Oh my god, it's so great to have you back. And just yeah, getting shots up and hitting threes and had that little purple patch in the third quarter where he hit three shots in about a minute and a half. Which as is his want, as often happens yes. when he catches flat. Third yep. quarter clay. He's yep. yeah, but no, uh, great to see. It is great. And look out league. Now Kevin Porter Jr. Geez, he had a week, didn't he? Well, you had an Antonio Brown kind of moment, didn't he? Oh, it was well, it's kind was, of what I, I alluded say, to in the intro. I was going to say worse, but probably not. But uh, yeah, game against... No, he's still got a contract. <laughs> he does, yeah. Well, he's lucky. Um, game against Denver last week, Porter Jr. and Christian Wood got into an altercation with assistant coach John Lucas. Porter Jr. reportedly threw something at him and then left the arena. Wood refused to enter the game in the second half. He got suspended for a game. Yeah. Probably lucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would think. I think it, the problem is they're two talented players. Mm. And so they don't want to suspend him for too long. Don't know why. I don't know why either. They just keep I mean, tanking. Houston rescued him from Cleveland, so he clearly has an issue with authority. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, yep. But uh, the mismatch blokes did an interesting thing about this last year as well. They gave some really interesting background about. Yeah, mm. it was kind of bound to happen eventually. I dare say. Oh, of course. There are some parallel. There are more than just one parallel with the Antonio Brown. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, hopefully he can get his shit together because he's an incredibly talented player. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he He's came, got a 50. Yeah. Well, he, he does, yeah. Yeah. And so he's, he is very talented. He came out and hit a game winner against Washington in the next game, which was, yeah, a big shot right in the, the face of, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Raul Neto or something. No, but... I can't remember either. By the way, did you see the DeRozan game winners? Yes. They were nuts. Yes. Holy shit. First time a player's had two game winners in back-to-back back back games. Ever. Yeah, yeah, so, in the history of the league. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, look. Well, just quickly, I mean, I, I think personally a suspension of three to five games would have been about right. I mean, if you're throwing something in an assistant coach. You, yeah, you, you, you there's got to be some respect for authority. You can't tolerate that. Even no. if it's three, I, I can deal with that. But one is just. Yeah, one's a, it's tokenistic, isn't it? It, it really is. Yeah, when it's, it's an 82 game season. Especially when he just left the arena. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. It's, it's insubordinate. It's pretty bad. It, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of bad, though, from that game against Washington, oh, boy, the commentators. We, we spoke about the Golden State yeah. commentators last oh, week. Oh, man. 
the Washington. What guys, is wrong with people at the moment? They've one upped them here. Oh, quite big time. Frankly. Big time. So after he's hit this game winner, the commentators for Washington have said Kevin Porter Jr., like his dad, pulled that trigger right at the right time. <sighs> now, for people who don't know, Porter Jr.'s dad was jailed for first-degree manslaughter in 1993 in the shooting death of a 14-year-old girl. Yep, and I bet her parents felt really good about those commentators. And then, in 2004, he was shot dead in Seattle at a bar trying to help someone who was being attacked. Yeah, right. So, talk about just the Poor most... Poor taste. Yeah, the most ridiculously insensitive thing you could say. Yeah, on a live broadcast. I mean, jeez. Yeah. And like I remember going back a few years, the OKC commentator, Brian Davis, he was stood down for good after saying that Russell Westbrook was, quote, out of his cotton-picking mind. Now, that's yeah. it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible yeah, phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that, but it's something, if you've grown up in Oklahoma, it's a turn of phrase that's probably just ingrained it, into it your just head. It runs off the tongue. Like yeah, it's, yeah, 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 like it's not something that he would necessarily associate with. He's not thinking about slavery. With slavery. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, when you say, yeah, you're out of your cotton-picking mind, it's like you've gone crazy. And they still had to do something about it. Maybe it was harsh to sack him. Well, that's it. He, but but I, what? So there's nothing's happened to these blokes. Well, he apologised to. Well, sorry, going back to Davis, he apologised to Westbrook. He apologised to Paul George, the entire Thunder organisation, and still lost his job. These guys have apologised. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I mean, this is the same sort of thing, really. Yeah. Yeah. You you would actually even argue that this is worse. Well, think again. Think about the victim's family. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, she didn't even get have a chance to see much of high school, let alone anything beyond that. So, yeah. yeah. And so, like, you're talking about a, you know, a, a real slip of the tongue in terms of using a, a, a phrase that certainly wasn't meant to be racist in terms of what Brian Davis did. And then you got these guys. I mean, that's not like a tiny little phrase. Pulled the trigger at the right time. Like, oh, that's that, an intentional. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that is. yeah, yeah. That is just—it's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, not not great. And then to round out the week, Porter Junior gets ejected for shoulder charging Charlie Brown of the 76ers on a fast break. Mm. So not a good week for him at all. Not at all. But uh, yeah, honestly, get those commentators out of there. Speaking of shoulder charging, Morris. Hasn't played since the Jokic one. 30 games we're sitting out now. Yeah, wow. Which is very, very interesting. We wouldn't have expected this to happen. And and look, the Morris brothers, for everything that they are, and there are a lot of things, they're not soft. No, 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 no. So it'll be a legit injury. Oh, we got proper whiplash from it. Yeah, yeah. And he's on a Miami team that's kind of eyeing off that number one seed at the moment. The Bulls are there at the moment, but they're knocking on the door. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a surprise. It is a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Speaking of surprises, Lance Corporal Stevenson. <laughs> Back in Indiana. What, what did I say last week? I was like, <laughs> yeah. imagine what would have happened if Lance had stayed in Indiana. And what's happened? He's they've, back. They've offered him a 10-day contract. He's gone crazy and they've signed him for the rest of the season now. Gone crazy is an understatement. Breaking records. Yeah, well. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, against Brooklyn last Wednesday, scored 20 points in the first quarter yeah. off the bench. Yeah. First time Never in happened. NBA history that's yeah. happened. He also scored 20 straight points for the Pacers in that game. Here is a fairly comprehensive list of the players who have never scored 20 straight points. Oh, I saw that tweet. A just, lot of good names. Just in the sort of the, just in this century. Yep. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Vince Carter, Luka Doncic, Carl Anthony Towns, Russell Westbrook, Giannis Antetokounmpo. It goes on and on. Anthony Davis, Kawhi yeah. Leonard, DeMar DeRozan, James Harden, Dirk Nowitzki, Trey Young, Tim Duncan, Kevin Love, Chris Bosh, Paul Pierce, Nikola Jokic, Dwayne Wade, and Bradley Beal. Holy shit. point is it's very rare. 
these are some of the greatest scorers that the league has ever oh, seen. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've never done something that Lance Stevenson, who was out of the league two weeks ago. Well, he was only there because of the replacement player COVID stuff. Yeah. Yep. Oh, again, though, he was out of the league because of off-court stuff. Yeah. So it, it wasn't just performance that, that meant his end. How's this? Or what we thought was his end. An incredibly small sample size. I get it. It's four games. But... He has never averaged more points per game, more assists per game, more steals <laughs> per game, or had a higher field goal percentage. Yeah, it is a very small sample. But it doesn't it's a great matter. story. It's a great story. <laughs> it's brilliant. And like you said, in, you know, in these times, we've got to hold on to those great stories because oh, they're few and far between. Play that guitar, Lance. Honestly, it is just, <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, oh, do you remember when he blew on LeBron's ear during the playoffs? <laughs> oh, the look, the smirk from LeBron. That, it's, that was the sort of shit. That's why he got kicked out of the league. He's just a bloody weirdo. Anyway, great great story, though, and hopefully he continues to do well. The Pacers need him. Speaking of LeBron, quick update on his greatness. Yes. He has now passed Alvin Robertson for 10th all-time in steals. Yeah, that was yesterday, I think, or very recently. Yeah, a couple of days ago. So, yeah. so he's now obviously top 10 in points, assists, and steals. The only other player top 10 in three major categories, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with points, rebounds, and blocks. Alvin Robertson, of course, one of only four players to ever have a quadruple-double. In, indeed. Yes. Indeed. Yes. So I'd just throw that in there. Former San Antonio Spur. Yes, indeed. Also with David Robinson, two of the four. Former Milwaukee Buck. Yes, indeed. And Detroit Piston. Yes, several others yes. probably. Mm, sorry. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's one of these things. Like he just continues to do these these amazing things. He's averaging more points, assists, and blocks than he did ten years ago. Oh, it's nuts. He's, he's only, playing center. He's only shot a better clip five times in his career. Third best three point clip of his career, and the best free throw percentage he's had. And yet it's a down year. It's yeah, he's not he's not being considered for no, every, yeah. No, absolutely not, because his team's shit. Yeah, so. well, I mean, they're in the playoff race at the moment, but yeah. At the moment. They're they're in that eighth spot, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A team that's not really in the race for the eighth spot, thankfully, is my OKC Thunder. <laughs> and look, we missed the boat on this one by about a day. It happened. Oh yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because we recorded a little bit earlier than usual. It wasn't a Tuesday. But a quick yeah. congrats to Josh Giddy for the youngest player in NBA history with a triple double: seventeen points, thirteen boards, fourteen assists against Dallas last Monday. It was only a matter of time. It was just whether whether or not he'd break the record for youngest, wasn't it? And that was after the first zero point ten rebound, ten assist game in fifty years for him as well. It is crazy to think. I didn't know he'd been playing for fifty years. Oh, Nathan. <laughs> No, 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 no. God. We've clearly been recording for over two hours. Yes. It's crazy to think, though, that the two youngest players in NBA history with a triple-double have played in the NBA in the last couple of years. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. It's it's great. Great for our league. Let's hope our league can finish its season. And then they joined Markel Fulks and Luka Doncic as the only other teenagers to do it. I completely forgot about Markel Fulks doing his ACL. It's been nearly a year. He can't be far away from returning. Ah, yes. Another one who, another one who's a bust, dare I say. Good. Very good. I like that. Oh, we are getting towards Speaking of guys who, well, have kind of been a bust so far, but hopefully won't be for much longer. Bowl, bowl. Yes. The free bowl, bowl movement seems to have finally worked. So Denver has traded bowl, bowl to Detroit for Rodney Magruder and a second round draft pick. He'll finally get to play some decent minutes on, Point a, center. on a terrible team as well. So yes, yep. he's not going to get crucified or buried on the bench for making mistakes. Dwayne Casey might actually want to develop him. Yep. And Detroit have pretty average big man stocks anyway. So hopefully he'll make a splash. Yep. As long as they have the Bruce Reed sticky tape, he'll be fine. <laughs> Bruce Reed sticky <laughs> He is pretty skinny. I'll give you that. And last little thing I did want to talk about, the Christina Pink face plant. 
Oh, yeah. So LA Clippers sideline reporter Christina Pink, massive faceplant after interviewing Amir Coffey yesterday. So during the interview, Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann have done the traditional, let's go and throw water on that role player being interviewed. Mm. But then as Pink tried to move on after the interview, she slipped and landed really hard on her front. She tweeted out later that she was okay. But when you look at the incident, she could easily have broken a wrist or a hand. Or Oh, yeah. Oh, it could have been really bad. Given her a concussion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in, in high heels. Absolutely. So I, I posed two questions to you. One, should they ban players throwing water over players on the court? And two, should they look at banning high heels? Oh, I think they should they should be allowed to wear high heels because they need to be tall enough to stand next to these blokes that uh, I don't know what the average height is in the league, six, but it would be seven. six five ish at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't so I don't think they should ban those. Uh, yeah, look, maybe they need to be a bit more thoughtful about it, at least cleaning it up it's if a, they it's are. It's an gonna... NHS thing. Do you know the irony? The last thing she said to him before she slipped. Go in there and get dry. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, maybe dry the floor too while yeah, we're at it. Yeah, no, that wasn't nice at all. It was all. a massive fall. Yeah. A massive, massive fall. A taco fall. He's out of the league now. He's been cut. Oh, dear. All right, Stu, you know what that music means. What do you have for? Well, look, it's got to be the Logan Cup match between Midwest Rhinos and Southern Rocks from Harare. <laughs> God, some weird cricket on right now. <laughs> No, seriously, the return of the NBL on Thursday night, it is long overdue. Oh, fingers crossed. Hopefully this will be the last disruption for the season. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) How about yourself, mate? Oh, man. Well, I look forward to Memphis and Golden State tomorrow. How was that block by Ja Morant? You were the one that sent it to me. Oh, Oh, that was... Nearly at the top of the square. Unbelievable. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.